What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. So folks, I am really excited about my guests that I have on this podcast today because when I, my first day of prison, I was led up to a place they called A2. It's kind of a rowdy place with a lot of people in it. And uh, I got led over to this bunk bed and I was introduced to Romo. He's also called Joey Ramos, but known as Romo. And um, I always think, you know, you, you find things that happen in your life. But for me, Romo, with that first, you know, experience of getting introduced to your bunkie, and your locker, and he, from the minute, the minute I met him, he was just right there with me. He put his arm around me and said, hey, you don't look like you've been here before, so you're going to need some help. Right. And, and I mean, immediately, uh, Romo was showing me how to make my bed military style. He he went to the, the bathroom and was helping me get the cleaning to clean out my locker. And, uh, you know, from that day forward, uh, Romo spoke for me as an inmate and said, uh, you know, don't bother Cassidy and I'm going to look out for you. And I got to tell you, Romo, um, meeting you, um, in prison was a good thing for me. And I'm really, really, uh, excited for you to be on this podcast so Thank welcome, you. Romo. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Brett. It's been a um, while, huh? It has been a while. So, Romo, I, I, I kind of want to just jump into, you know, the prison environment is one that's kind of hard to explain unless you're in it. But Correct. Um, one thing that I'm, I recognized immediately by being your bunkmate was uh, you were a different inmate. You carried a certain amount of respect in the prison um, that you were a guy. And, and a guy in prison, there's only a few of them. And uh, some of them are called shot callers. Some of them are called other names. But you, you had that whatever that is. And you carried yourself differently and you were also looked upon differently in prison. I always wondered, and I, I, you know, you and I never had this conversation, but was that an extra burden for you being in prison, having the burden of, you know, being with uh, the Texas homeboys and uh, being the guy that you were, how did you handle that? 
Well, uh, it, you got to keep in mind too, Brett, before I ended up at Leavenworth, um, I was in state prison in Texas. Right. I was doing state prison time before I even got there. And um, that's a whole like different way of life. Right. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially being in TDC in the state of Texas. Right. Me being, you know, uh, from Michigan and being in that environment alone was like, you know what I mean? It's, it's just totally different. Um, you have to learn how to survive. It's like being in a, in a cage, yeah. a bunch of dogs. Right. You know what I mean? If you don't bite back, you're going to get bit. Right. You'll be stuck in the corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, my first experience and how I ended up carrying myself and being a homeboy was, uh, it was hard at TDC. Um, my first three weeks I got stabbed, uh, going to the chow hall. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, by with a toothbrush, I had it sticking out of my arm, and it, it was it was tough. It was very tough. But yes, it was a bit. It was a. I don't want to call it a burden. It wasn't to me. It wasn't a burden. It was who I was, who I needed to be in that moment, and who I will always have inside me. Right. No matter what. Right. Well, take me back a little bit because, um, you know, before all that. There was uh, Joey Ramos, uh, the boxer, the boxer, the, the teenager. Yes. Uh, what What was teenager Romo like? Oh, I was always getting in trouble. I was <laughs> I was a break dancing kid. I was I was a rascal. What we call Texas a rascal. I was definitely a rascal. I was I was always getting in trouble and stuff. And I'm not gonna lie to you, boxing saved my life. Yeah. Um. Yes. Tell uh, me a little bit about the boxing. How'd you get into it? Well, I got into it uh, at an early age. I, I started boxing, and um, I started off in Bay City, Michigan. And when I was boxing there, um, one of the coaches there in Bay City was, uh, uh, gosh, that was so long ago, too. But uh, Peterson, Mike Peterson was my coach. Scott yeah. Corey's dad. And I met a guy named Gary Richards at the time. And uh, I was boxing. Boxing honestly kept me out of a lot of trouble. Yeah, I should have went to prison way long time ago. You know what I mean? Before I did. It's funny how I ended up at a later age, ended up going to prison and all these things falling on me. But I honestly believe that the reason why I didn't go to prison was because of boxing, because of Coach Gary. Yeah. Um, he came to a time in my life where my structure was not good, but boxing is what kept me going. Boxing kept me alive. So, Romo, the what got you? How did you end up at Leavenworth? Um. Well, it's funny because my um, my crime that I committed was an asbestos removal. I remember that uh, in the in. In the improper manner. Yeah. And the funny thing was, it was a EPA violation. Right. So because of that EPA violation, I got a slap on the wrist by a judge in uh, Michigan that uh, gave me uh, two years probation. That was it. Okay. That's all I was supposed to get. And a big-ass fine. Fine I'd probably pay the rest of my life. (laughs) But it wasn't until some... Uh, events happened in Texas with my wife that changed everything. And um, 
my actual what how I ended up in Leavenworth was my violation. Okay. And they gave me five years for my violation. So yeah. you were you were you had probation of two years. You violated yes. the probation and they threw you into a federal yes. prison and a five year deal. Yes. What um how were you brought into Leavenworth? Wasn't a voluntary surrender. No, actually I I was um so what happened was is when I was in Texas, uh I had uh this is hard to say, Brett. But I was going through a really hard time in my life. I struggled with uh, alcoholism and addiction. Mm -hmm. And I let one thing lead to another. And I married a woman and put her through a lot of shit. Caught a case, a state case in Texas, which they gave me state prison time. And then that's when the U.S. Marshals, when I was done with my state prison time in, in Texas, the U.S. Marshals came and got me. And they took me to uh, federal housing, Siegelville in Dallas. And that's when I went to see a federal judge in Dallas. I fought so hard to get back to Michigan because I was like, I should not be seeing a federal judge in Texas. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the way our system sees it, here's a Mexican Hispanic guy uh, who put his hands on a Caucasian woman in the state of Texas. And I honestly believe that that judge threw the book at me, man. Gave me five years for a simple domestic violence that was supposed to be county time. But I wasn't, I mean, it is what it is. I, I believe I got, I did my time in Texas in the state. Yeah. A federal attorney also said, your honor, he did his time in Texas, you know, state. Why should he get any more time? And, uh, that judge was like not very kind. Yeah. So you got, how did you travel from Texas to uh, Kansas? By bus. By bus. That yes. had to be, that had to be a long bus ride. Yes. Especially when you're in chains. Yeah. Shackled. Yes. Shackled, of course. Yeah. Yes. There, there's nothing more dehumanizing than the shackle. I don't think, um, because right. you feel like an animal when you're shackled from the waist and your hands right. and your your uh, ankles. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you the um, the the. So here's the deal. I rode a bus from uh, when I first. This is so when I first ended up getting into the federal system, they send you to Oklahoma. Okay, that's the big Oklahoma. transfer center. Yes, it's a big transfer center. So when I was there. Um, they sent me to Atlanta. I there, uh, when I went to Atlanta, I was already affiliated with the homeboys from Texas. So uh, we don't walk in Atlanta. So I went straight to what's called the SHU, the Special Housing Union. And there was probably about 30 of us in there. And we were not allowed to walk the yard there. So I ended up going back to Oklahoma. Then they sent me Romo, to... Uh, uh, Romo, yeah. explain that a little bit. Because for those who don't understand the gang world or the... Uh, the idea of what happens inside prison. What do you mean by that? That you don't walk there. What's that we're not allowed in the yard because who we are affiliated with. We're not allowed to walk in the yard and believe it or not, whether um, I'm going to be very honest with you, they say the, the prison system is controlled by the warden and the uh, corrections officers. That's wrong. 
the prisons are, are controlled by the actual inmates, the convicts. And they control so, what happens in the yard. Exactly. Right. So they can literally tell the warden or the assistant warden, we don't want these affiliations in our yard. And they have the, I don't know, there's no set in stone. It's just the way it is. You got to keep in mind that these wardens don't want problems on the yard. The warden could be a jack off and say, you know what? I don't care what you guys think. They're coming on the yard. Right. And then there's going to be problems. So when you got brought into Leavenworth, because you've already been to three other places now, you've been to Oklahoma, you've been to Atlanta, and then you finally get into Leavenworth. Yes. Uh, is, it a, is it an immediate thing that the association is known with the Texas homeboys that, uh, you know, Romo's here and I'm part of you? Oh, and yeah. Tell, yes, tell me a little bit about that. Well, you got to remember, it's a whole big circle. Um, everybody knows pretty much everybody and where you're at. You know what I mean? They already knew I was coming. They were waiting for me to get there. Um, with open arms, though. Mm -hmm. One thing I can honestly say about Texas versus every other state, especially being from Texas like that, is um, there's no other place like Texas. Yeah. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess real, with Texas. <laughs> That's real. That's straight real. Yeah. And don't mess with my Dallas Cowboys neither. No, I know. <laughs> I know you're a big Dallas Cowboy guy. I remember that. That was a big thing on Sundays in the cafeteria. So, yes, yes, yes. So, Romo, okay, you get there. You get set up. Um, you know, when you and I were – I'm trying to remember how long you had been there uh, – by the time I showed up, had you been there for three years, maybe? Yeah, about three, two and a half, three years, yeah, before you got there. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was your thought seeing me come in there, being your new bunkie? Because this, this is a new breed coming in, right? <laughs> right. I'm like, what the heck is this guy doing here? I said, he's – the first thing I thought of was, I'm like, he's got to be on – because you got to remember back then, all these mortgage guys Yeah. God, we're coming in. Yeah. And then I was telling one of my homeboys, I said, do you think he's one of the mortgage guys? Said, homeboy, he looks like it. <laughs> I just remember you saying, you know what? You look like you've never been here before. Yes. But, you, you know, know, one of the things I, I, I remember, and this is something, um, this happened, I mean, shortly after you helped me clean out my locker and, and, uh, and the, the locker was not clean. And you helped, you said you don't want to put your stuff in there yet. Right, so right, right. You, you helped me do that. You helped me make my bed military style. And then you said, hey, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take you over to Clark because he's one of you. And, <laughs> and you immediately walked me over to the other side of this place we were in that was A2. And there's Clark sitting there. And you said to Clark, hey, this is Cassidy. You need to talk to him. He's one of you. Get him set up. And I, you know, it was such a uh, wild thing within just, you know, within an hour, you know, I had met you. I met Clark. I find out that Clark went to my high school, which was really bizarre. Um, but I was always curious. I mean, you know, you and I never talked about this. We talked a lot, you know, when we were in our bunk beds at night. Yes. But, um yes. What what was it that made you think I'm gonna kind of look after this guy? Because we didn't, we came from opposite sides of the world. Yeah, honestly, Brett, I honestly believe at that point in my life, I was starting to realize the right things to do. Okay, 
if it wasn't for one of my homeboys' photos, who literally like uh, looked out for me when I got there, you know what I mean? He's a true homeboy. That and him and uh, uh, Los, another homeboy from West Texas, and all the other homeboys, of course. But you know, the, the talks with photos when we did our rosary made me realize, you know, starting to do the right things to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was younger than me, but he kind of felt like my older brother, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not going to lie to you, I was knucklehead. I was doing dumb shit when I first got there. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of dumb shit. And he was correcting me on a lot of things. And you got to remember, I was coming from TDC, and TDC is wild, bro. Yeah. Texas Department of Corrections in the state of Texas is wild. You know what I mean? It's a different... It's a whole different format than it is from federal. And uh, for me, it was being at Leavenworth. It was, I don't know. I started seeing things a lot clearly when I got there. Well, I, I and started, I, 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 and I think, you know, one of the things that I thought is even though we, um, you know, maybe we run into each other on the street, maybe we don't, but being bunkmates, uh, you know, and, and having the conversations that we had at night, um, you know, I, I quickly found that you were, you had a good heart and I later found that you and Jim Clark, um, really put a lot of effort into doing something for guys in prison that for some people that didn't have anything, you gave them something by, uh, with the Catholic program and, yes. uh, you know, the Archbishop Keller that came there and uh, you guys worked on putting that together with the mask. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How you got involved in all that? So it was, it was, well, it was Clark. Clark was the one who brought it up. He says, you know, wouldn't this be an idea, you know, this and that. And I can't take, I'm not going to lie to you and it'd be wrong for me to take credit. I helped Clark, but it was Clark's idea. Yeah. It was true. Well, Clark would say that, of course, too, right? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> right. He definitely said it's his idea. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm the, I did it. <laughs> Does that sound like him? <laughs> no, but it, it, and the thing was, it was something they could take with them that nobody could take away. Because yeah. in, in, in prison, whether it's federal or state, you can lose everything. Right. You know what I mean? You can go in there with everything and come out with nothing. Right. You know what I mean? That's something they can't take away from you. Not, they can take away your freedom. They can take away your name. Whatever it is, but they can't take that away. Yeah. And that was getting your first communion. Yeah. Confirmation. Yeah. And you guys put through a lot of guys that uh, that that were, uh, were went through the program. Um, and I think, you know, I think back on that and, and uh, there's a lot of you know, hard days and sad days and rough days that go on in prison. But you guys really came together and did something really good there that I think it, it affected a lot of people in the prison population. And, you know, I look back on that and I, uh, I always see, you know, Romo, you're, whether you struggled or not, you were always trying to reach for the right thing. And yeah, I, I think that's what people, um, you know, they look for, you know, regardless of life's unfair, you're still trying to make a difference. And 
That's what I liked about your way of how you handled things is you, regardless of the situation, you were still trying to make a difference. We were in the same program together with um, RDAP, and I, I always struggle with the acronym of RDAP. It was Residential Drug Alcohol, Residential Addiction Program. I can't remember which Abuse one. Abuse program. Yeah. Uh, you, um, you were a leader in that program. Um, I remember yes. I was new, and you were finishing it. It was a nine-month program. Uh, you were one of the leaders in that program, and uh, the other part that I thought was really interesting about you and that program was, is they didn't give you, you went through the nine months and just like everybody else, but they did not give you what you were supposed to get. You didn't get the year off. No, I didn't. They only gave me nine months off. how did you handle it. that? Um, at first I was, you know, it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me um, because of everything that I went through. But the thing about it was, is when I got the actual letter and I opened it and seen my out date, I couldn't believe that it was that date because at that time um, I was going through a Marian consecration retreat, a do yourself retreat of the Marian consecration a book given to me by Clark. Yeah. Clark's the one that got me into that. And, and he showed me, you know, and explained stuff to me. And, you know, I never realized how powerful prayer was until I opened that letter. And the funny thing was, is my consecration date was December 8th. And my date of being released was December, December 8th. December 8th, right. Yeah. And I remember going to the bishop, and everybody was in line to com- for confession. Yeah. You know what I mean? And everybody's in line. And I told him, I couldn't even remember who it was. And I, I think I told him in Spanish, I'm like, hey, bro, I need to go ahead of you. I got to talk to the, you know, the bishop real quick. And he's like, por qué? You know what I mean? And I'm like, just, muévete, hombre. You know what I mean? And I went inside there, and and I, I started crying to the bishop. And I says, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. He says, it's scary, isn't it? I'm like, it's very scary. He says, you did a good thing and you got blessed. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the Archbishop, I remember you telling me that uh, there was a time where the Pisces and the homeboys weren't showing up to the mass. Uh, (laughs) Can you you speak about that? How did that that come down with the Archbishop? Like when they weren't coming to mass, when they were, and, he, and, to. He, and I think the archbishop asked you, "Why aren't they coming?" You said, "Well, we're not, we're fighting," and he said, yeah. "I want to talk to both of you." Yeah. So he yeah. pulled you, and I forget who the other person was. Yeah, and the thing about it was too is like you got to remember too, like how do I say this? I didn't. We were at a camp, dude. You yeah. know what I mean? We shouldn't have been bickering the way we were, dude. Over yeah. Dumb shit. You yeah. know what I mean? We were, I, all of us, we were at a freaking camp. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I sometimes I think about those days and I'm like, we bickered. Over. And I, you know what? I, I couldn't even remember what it was over. Was it over a baseball game? Yeah. Or volleyball? Or yeah, shit? yeah. I think it was volleyball. You know what I mean? Volleyball. Yeah, but volleyball, volleyball was a big yes. deal. I remember this, <laughs> Romo, because you were you were the sports commissioner, and <laughs> and so yeah, and so I had been asked because one day I was playing pickup um, 
volleyball and uh the the hispanic guys had asked me to they somebody had gotten hurt or they twisted their ankle or something i said hey cassidy come over here and so i was i was doing something out in the yard and, and so I, I actually you know could still jump a little bit and so i was spiking the right. ball <laughs> they said no right. you're cassidy you're with us now so right. <laughs> <laughs> but that was um yeah, that was another position you had that that carried a little bit of a little bit of authority in the the prison as the uh, official sports commissioner of of the prison sports. But I do think that that situation between the Pisces and the homeboys was over volleyball. Yeah, it, it was over volleyball. Never, it, it was over an actual championship. Yep. Yep. And you know what I mean. I, I mean, what are you going to do? If my homeboys are playing, of course, they're going to be favored to win. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's just a, it's just like how sports is nowadays. You know what I mean? The only difference is we're in a smaller format. Yeah, it's just a smaller primitive environment. Yeah. So, you know, Brett, I wanted to elaborate yeah. on when we were bunkies. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to, I remember telling you this one day, and I don't know if you remember or not. I says, you know, when when you had first gotten there, I says, you know, I was telling you my routine or whatever. Right. And I said, I don't know why, but for some reason, I keep seeing the gold dome Yeah. for Leavenworth. Mm-hmm. And I could see it out of our window because yeah. we had a little window by our bunk. Right. And I never knew what that, I, what is the meaning of this? What is the sign that he's trying to show me? Mm-hmm. The gold dome, the gold dome, the gold dome. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of talks on uh, on yeah, but you know um, when you you know because a lot of things that you go through in prison you don't necessarily talk about uh, it's private, but yeah, when you had hard days, how did you? What was your strategy on handling hard days in prison? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't know if a lot of guys relate to it, but you have to have this certain machismo when you're in prison. You have to have your yard face. So if you do need to cry, you need to cry in the shower so no one can see. Right. You know what I mean? You can't show weakness at all. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. At all. And there were some guys in there that were like, acted like they were tough as nails, and they are fucking pussies. You know right. what I mean? It was that simple. Yeah. You know, if you pulled their car, they wouldn't, you know what I mean? Yep. You tell them straight up, let's go. You, let's go get it. They ain't going to go get shit. Right. You know what I mean? They may talk all this thing and act like they're badass in the yard, but pull their car, and they ain't going to do nothing. You know what I mean? I specifically remember that happening, Romo. <laughs> you, <laughs> you had a guy <laughs> that wasn't going down one-on-one with you in the basement. And right. that was, uh, that was the end of that. And, and, that, right. and the curtain was pulled and, you know, that's the funny thing about prison is it's pretty primitive. You know, you walk in there by yourself and you walk out by yourself, but while you're in there, it is who you are. You, there's no, you know, the bullshit can be pulled pretty quickly. Um, right. and you have to be, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said too, is you, you do have a, uh, prison face, you don't want to show anybody you're scared. You don't want to show anybody you're sad. Um, and when you do that, you do it in private. And the only place I saw that was a little bit different was when we were in RDAP. Um, yes. That was that was a different environment. I, I, I specifically remember um, 
I was in uh, that little band room over there off the the uh, yeah the, the gymnasium. Yeah. It was a cold, cold day, and there wasn't any heat in there, and and uh, we had to do our readiness statements, and they were they were readiness statements were like, how did your what happened with you affect your family, and and what do you want to say about that? And I remember a guy got up there that had been a real tough guy, and he started reading. And he couldn't get through it. Just started break, broke down and cried. And I remember a guy, uh, Kimberg Jones, uh, just a cool, um, quiet guy. And he just quietly got up from his chair and started reading his readiness statement for him. And I thought, yeah. man, this is a little different than anything that we have when we leave these doors and go out into the regular prison environment. Yes. So that was a little different. And, um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different things to say about RDAP, but I do think that it's, you know, a hundred guys that were going through something that uh, we didn't want to go through, but we were going through it because we thought we could get the time off. But there were little bits and pieces of it that uh, affected you a little bit differently because things uh, that happened in there were a little bit different than what you had when you stepped outside that program. Yes, yes. And for me, RDAP, I really truly embraced RDAP. At first I didn't, you know, a lot of guys say they fake it to make it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, fake it I to make it. Didn't, yeah. I embraced the program. I used to believe that there was two kinds of people in the world, rabbits and wolves. Mm-hmm. Rabbits are the ones that do nothing to nobody. And then there's wolves, the ones that prey on them. But it wasn't until I was in the RDAP program that I realized those two other kinds of people, heroes and poets. Love heroes that. Were the Love ones that, that Romo. Made change and chance for the best. And then there was poets. Poets are ones that tell a story of a hero, so they look and they sound like a hero, but in the end, they're just saying words. Right. You know what I mean? So every morning, I say either I'm going to be about it or talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I emphasize that on my boxers. You know what I mean? Either you can go around and say, I'm boxing this and that, or you can just stay humble and win and, and and be a true hero. You know what I mean? And sometimes it takes us to lose completely everything. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you the... Don't you think that's life, probably Romo where you find your soul? Yes. I honestly do. And it, the thing about for me, I thought I found it but I had to lose it to truly find it. Yep. I had to get out of prison. Yeah. And I had a, you know, the funny thing is the whole time, my first six months out of Leavenworth, I used to wear my prison boots. Really? Those were some really uncomfortable boots. Ah, Exactly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I wore mine for a reason. Okay. Because I had to remember where I came from. Yep. When I stopped wearing them, I stopped remembering where I came from. That's deep. So, so Romo, take me, take me out of the, you know, you, you made it out. Um, I think it was December 8, 2014. Yes. Um, uh, I was at Federal Halfway House. I was taking, uh, I took, I signed up for school in the springtime, uh, working for the union, went back for the union. Hey, Brett, just excuse me for one minute. Okay. Somebody's knocking on my door. Sorry.
All right, you there? Got you. All right, sorry about that. So you said you were uh, you wearing the boots, and when you quit wearing the boots, you didn't remember where you were. That. Yeah. Yeah, so I, here I was uh, living in Detroit. I working was, for uh, the union. To be married. Working for the union. And uh, it's funny how this happened, bro, because it's scary, dude. I got a rosary when I was at Leavenworth from Bishop Keller, mm-hmm. and it was from the Vatican, and he told me it was blessed, and that was my gift that he gave me for the uh, first uh, the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe celebration that we had, and for the guys that got their first communion. And the thing about it was, is the whole time that I was out, I was sober, mm-hmm. didn't drink, didn't do nothing. I got out of the federal halfway house, and there was numerous times I could have went and had a drink or whatever, you know what I mean? I was Mm -hmm. still on federal probation, but I didn't. And, but I quit wearing my boots. I kind of just fall, fell back into old ways, old ways. Yeah, definitely old ways. And, uh, I remember distinctly this night because me and my uh, fiance at the time got in this huge argument. And the thing about it is, she loved me so much, Brett. Mm-hmm. She was so in love with me. She would have did anything for me. She was an Arabic woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been divorced already before, and and we were both kind of met each other at a crossroad. You know what I mean? And we were both starting over. And uh, one day, me and her got in a huge argument, and that was my excuse to grab that bottle and start drinking. And the funny thing is, is this, is I remember drinking the bottle and I had my watch on me from Leavenworth on the table and I kept watching the time, watching the time. As you're drinking the bottle? Yeah. Took me, I think, three minutes and 36 seconds to drink that whole fifth. Good Lord. Here's the kicker. My rosary that I got from the bishop fell off, literally. I didn't have it broken or nothing. It literally just slipped right off my neck. And I looked at it, and I grabbed it, and I just put it on the table, and I kept drinking. Like nothing. She came in the house. One thing led to another. Before you know it, I woke up, and I was in Macomb County Jail. Which is yeah. really probably the worst nightmare of a inmate that gets released from prison is to oh. wake up in jail or prison again jail or prison again yeah walk me through that so, romo so i wake up and i'm in macomb county and you've been out how many nine months you've been out nine yes. months from- no, no no i wasn't out nine months yet okay oh uh, no as a matter of fact yes i was okay i was on it was nine months to the day that i was released from uh leavenworth okay and i was out and i this is hard, right? Because um, this is hard. I'm with you. For the first time in my life, I was truly scared. Yeah. I was truly scared. And I wanted to fight my case. Like all the other convicts that go in there saying they're innocent, they're innocent. But I knew I was guilty. Right. Because my Rhonda couldn't hurt nobody. She was one of the rabbits that I talked about. Right. She would never harm nobody or hurt nobody ever. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so I sat in this Macomb County jail. And the funny thing is, I said, I'm going to fight this case. I'm going to fight this case. And my attorney came to me and he says, hey, man, you know, you know, she doesn't testify. You can walk away clean and blah, blah, blah. I looked dead at him. I says, my Rhonda said I did something wrong. Then I did. I did something wrong. She would never, ever harm a fly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's not her. That's not why I asked her to marry me. I knew the woman she was. Right. And the sad part about it all was I was, I pled guilty to domestic violence and the, my judge was named Mary. <laughs> Mary Shonowski. They call her Scary Mary. She actually had an actual, uh, she became a judge and she had a show in Detroit, but Anyways, Rhonda came and testified on my behalf. Wow. Saying, Your Honor, Joey needs help. Mm-hmm. He has PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know, he it's not, he should not go back to prison. This is not going to help him. Mm-hmm. And you know what the judge said? You're absolutely right. I'm giving him time served in the county jail. But the only sad part is, is he's got to go back in front of a federal judge mm-hmm. for violation of probation. Mm-hmm. So four days after that, she gave me time served and the U.S. Marshals came again and got me. They took me to Milan Correctional Facility, the holding facility in Michigan. And the sad part about it all is I ended up in front of the original federal judge that I had the first time. Wow. Yes. And the messed up thing about it is out of all judges, he tells me, I get in front of him, and he tells me, he says, I remember your case distinctively because I never had a case like yours before in my life. Mm-hmm. He goes, the funny thing is, is I never had a case like that, and I felt then this guy should not go to prison for this. This is an EPA violation. Yes, fines or whatever, but he should not go to prison. He goes, but apparently I was wrong. And after all it was said and done, and I gave you a slap on the wrist, this is the way you thank me. He says, Mr. Ramos, you can't do probation. You're not capable of doing probation. Therefore, I'm sending you back for no less than, and at the time, they always give you months, but it was two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I ended up going back to Beaumont, Texas. Oh, man. Beaumont, Texas. <laughs> There's not yeah, good story. Beaumont. There's not good stories about Beaumont, Texas. Yeah, bloody Beaumont. But that was our backyard. Mm-hmm. When he told me I was going to Beaumont, you know, Brett. In that moment, when he told me that, I knew that my mom was watching over me. I knew in that moment when when that judge. Sentenced me, and I got to, I didn't know where I was going. You know, I went back to my own whatever, and I got to go to Oklahoma. They, when you get to those places, after a couple of weeks, they find out where you're going. Mm-hmm. When I found out I was going to Beaumont, I knew in that moment that my mom was watching over me. She was sending me somewhere safe. Yeah, She was sending me somewhere where, I know it, it sounds, oh, Beaumont, bloody Beaumont. But yeah, to bad. me, those were my homeboys. Right. 
But it's a maximum, right? Yeah. You're going into a maximum at Beaumont. I didn't care about any of that. So, so, Romo, walk me, walk me into Beaumont. So, as soon as you, before you even get to the yard, the COs will come up to you. You're in, you're in the holding. You're in the shoe. Right. And they'll be it's called the hole. Right off the bat, you, yeah. Are you good with the homeboys? Because if you're not, you know what I mean. They're gonna get. They're gonna. They're gonna hit you as soon as you get in the yard. Mm-hmm. So you need to let. You know what I mean. Are you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good with the homeboys. Is your paperwork good? Yeah, my paperwork's good. Mm-hmm. Just get me out there. I don't want to be in here. You know what I mean. I want to be in front of the TV and talking to the homeboys, chopping it up. And mm-hmm. I already had some homeboys that were there. I already knew they were there. They already know I was there. They already know I was coming. But as soon as you get into these units, oh man, it's a drill. Everybody's drill. And the COs, they let it happen. Yeah. As soon as they walk into there, they, they grab them, they take them in a the room, they check their tattoos, make sure they're not lying about who they are. You know what I mean? They get their name and number, make sure they run their paperwork and see if they're good. Because I'm not going to lie to you, Brett, uh, chomos don't walk the yard. Mm-hmm. Chomos don't walk the yard. No. And they, I don't believe they should. Anybody that touches children should die. There's no cure for that, bro. Yeah, I know it sounds sad. No, I mean that's they're they're the the, the bottom rung of the prison society. That's there's no doubt that yes. that's the way it is. They should be put on an island, never to be let off. That it's that simple. You know what I mean? But yeah, so so you walk know, in. The crazy. Yeah, so so you walk into this society now. You're in. You're in the no, max. Never, you're, they ask you who you with. Who yeah, you, you know. Where you, where you from, homeboy? And I, you know, tell them where I am, where I'm from. And then, you know, for me, shit. They had a cook-up waiting for me. I was hungry as hell. I was in <laughs> fucking Oklahoma. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, they, they had the Dr. Pepper's on ice and everything. All right. All right. Yeah. So the two and a half years you were there, did you... Uh, because you've told me that that you know you have to be a certain way, you got to act a certain way yeah. uh, to survive. You got to be a survivor. You can't be a victim in, yeah. in that environment, right? Right. Right. So, and you know, for me, you know, like, here's the thing: like, you can get straight involved with the politics. You you got to remember who I was affiliated. We're not a gang. We're not a fama. Yeah. That isn't what we're about. You right. know what I mean? We're about. You know, if the ones can get home, get home. Right. If, 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 you know, there's some homeboys that are never coming home for the rest of their lives, Brett. You know what I mean? And so for oh, somebody like me that goes in there and is getting out, that's a blessing for some of them because they got somebody out there. You know what I mean? Right. They got somebody they can turn to and say, you know, I need a little this or a little that or even a pinch of letter. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. Something. That's all that matters. You know what I mean? Because they're forgotten, yeah. believe it or not. Right. You know what I mean? I used to think one of the hardest things about doing time was not knowing. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things about doing time was being forgotten. Yes. That wasn't. The hardest time the hardest thing about doing time, Brett, was being able to look a man in his eyes, knowing you could take his life. That's big. You you have to walk with that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you're in that environment. You're in a primitive environment 
that that's your survive, your survival. Yeah. You know, um, so Romo, how, now that, now that you're out, um, you did the kind of the unthinkable, you got out, you went back in within nine months, you went to a terrible place. Beaumont is known in the prison world as, as a place you don't want to go. You survived yeah. that. Um, tell me what's going on now in your life. Well, now I'm uh, work, still working in the union, trying to retire. Mm-hmm. I'm coaching. Uh, coaching I'm boxing. So um, when I got home, I want to tell you it was late 17, early 18. Yeah. Is when I got home. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I got home, things weren't the same, Brett. Mm-hmm. My kids had grown up, mm-hmm. and I was at a crossroad with my life. Mm-hmm. PTSD is truly, it truly happens, bro. Mm-hmm. For those that don't think that it can happen and this and that, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. You, you want? I, I'm, I'm living proof. I'll show you. See that right there? What is that? <laughs> <That's a> t- <laughs> right ptsd what PTSD. Do do, huh? <laughs> i'm still eating the damn things so but anyways um I, I i get out and i'm gonna tell you so i'm not on pro- federal probation no more brett yeah so i'm free you're free and i'm free okay and i met a girl uh, we're, she used to be manager of the gym, you know, we're seeing each other, everything's heavy, mm-hmm. a lot of things are going on, my kids don't look at me the same, nothing's the same anymore, this and that, and Brett, I started drinking, dude, Yeah. but this time I don't have no, nobody to tell me nothing, right. you know what I mean, start doing drugs, nobody to tell me nothing, mm-hmm. I got some money, so who cares, you know what I mean, I'm working, mm-hmm. my bills are paid, who cares, who cares, who cares, mm-hmm. and then, uh, the woman that I was with at the time, she takes me to Notre Dame. I'm not supposed to say that word, but I'm going to say it anyways. Yeah. Because I, it was the first time I'd ever been to the grotto. Yeah. And I went and lit a candle there. And there was an estate stone there with um, uh, the uh, when the nuns mm-hmm. from St. Mary's had first started. Mm-hmm. And they put an estate going there the, of their sisterhood. And it was the same year I was born, Brett. And I, I didn't know why, but I knew this was a sign. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you, I ended up, uh, she took me there, and then she says, we're going to take you to somewhere else. And I'm like, where? She's like, you're going to a rehab place. And I'm like, what? And it was a rehab place in South Bend, Indiana. She goes, they got Catholic 12-step and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, happy. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have none of that shit there. Uh-huh. There was none of it. Uh-huh. But the good thing about it was I was finding myself. Yeah. And I truly was. And it took me um, a little bit of time. And when I had left, uh, I took my annuity out. And I uh, I went back home. I was home for a little bit. And I ended up going back to South Bend. Yeah. And just things happened the way they did. And I'm not. So you felt like you got straight. You found yourself. If it wasn't for this place right here, yeah, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you today, bro. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah, if it wasn't for that place, I wouldn't be. So you found it. Did um, what's life like today with touching base with your kids? What's what's that? 
Um, my kids are grown. Oh my gosh, fifteen and thirteen. Yeah. When I first got home, they were so little. You know what I mean, Dominic. My youngest boy could barely remember me. Yeah. You know what I mean, and then I left and came back, and they were a little bit bigger. And they understood. Mm-hmm. I remember going to Buffalo Wild Wings, and my son Roman says, "You know, he has autism," and he says, "Dad, I know where you were." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Where was I?" And my son Dominic says, "Grandpa said you were at work." And my son Roman that has autism, he's like, "No, my mom says you were in jail." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah." And what do you think? He says, "I don't care. You're here now." That's great. Yeah, that's great. Well, I got to tell you, Romo, the, um, and I know you're helping people out now and, and getting a lot about uh, helping uh, the younger boxers. Um, and, yes. And I think that. Especially female boxers. Yeah. I've been helping a lot of female boxers. For me, it was um, kind of a blessing, you know, with uh, the way I grew up and stuff and my mom. My mom's going to show me how to throw football, baseball. Tell me about your mom. You know, Tell me about your mom. My Ronald. mom was a very, very sporty. Also a very, very, uh, uh, she was a fighter. Yeah. She was like, uh, how do you, como se dice, standing with fists. Uh-huh. It's like the <laughs> dancing I mean? with the wolves. <laughs> dance dance with fists. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that was my mom. And uh, she died at 52 years old of cancer. Uh, and, uh, that's young. Yeah, she died at an early age. You know, you know. I'm going to tell you this. This is and this is the honest truth, Brett. And this is why I knew my mom was watching over when she sent me to Beaumont. So when I get to Beaumont, I, I got a couple homeboys there, but I'm in this housing unit, and they put me in this cell. And I'm like, you're going to sell up with Big E. He's from Dallas. You know, he's a homeboy. What do you? So one day we're talking this and that, and he's like, yeah, I got a half sister in Saginaw, Michigan. And I'm like, fool, that's where I'm from. And he's like, no way. We're talking it up and this and that. Come to find out, when I get home, I'm talking to my cousin on my mom's side, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, uh, his name's, you know, Big E, and his last name's Gia, Gia and this and that. And they're like, Hey, dumbass, that's our cousin. I'm like, what do you mean that's our cousin? He's That's Cousin Lika's son. He's in Beaumont Prison. I'm like, yeah, that's who my son was. He goes, yeah, that's your cousin, fool. And I never knew. You know what I mean? So if that's that, not my mom saying, hey, that's crazy. I'm watching out for you still. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about your dad? What was, what was your dad like? My dad, I feel sorry for my dad because I put him through a lot of shit, man. My dad has always been there for me, supported me. He took care of my children when I was gone all that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I love my father to the fullest. And uh, my dad's a great man. He did a lot. He did a lot for me. Uh, he's firm back when we were younger and this and that. But my dad has always been there. My dad was kind of, I want to say I'm like the alter ego of my father. My father was uh, very, he was in a band. He was very instrumental. He wasn't the tough, rugged type like I am, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I was more like my grandfather. I was a fighter, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my dad wasn't. My my dad's very passive. Mm-hmm. Like my son Vinny's very passive. Even though he's going to fight for national championship, he's very passive. Mm-hmm. He's more of a boxer than he is a fighter. I'm a brawler. You hit me, bro, we're going. It's all there right. is to it. <laughs> Heavy you hands, know, Romo. He, he's going to think about his, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Romo comes out, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... Yeah, my dad is very, he was very supportive. 
Now, here's the thing, and I want to let people know this too. You, there's a way you can do time and a way you can't. Mm-hmm. For me, I had to let go of all my family and ex, everybody out of my life. No letters, no phone calls, no nothing. Because I couldn't deal with the emotion. I couldn't deal with that hurt yeah. that I was hurting somebody else. Because when you do time, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting your family. Right. And I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't deal with talking them, you know, to my sons. I mean, I didn't want them to expose them to that life. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't want them to have that life. And, and I'm glad I did not because my older children became very successful, mm-hmm. you know, with, without, and maybe I hurt them because I was, didn't talk to them or didn't want the visits, but I didn't want to expose them to that, bro. Mm-hmm. And some people, it's different. You know what I mean? Some people take it different. For me, I didn't want them to. My Aunt Rosa is the one that told me that the best. She's like, you know, you think about it. If you expose your children to this, they're going to think one day, well, it's okay. Yeah. I th- you know, and I, I think that's uh, the interesting thing about prison. I think everybody does their time, you know, however they do their time. Um, right. And that's that's how however you can get through prison is how you do it. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I think, you know, Romo, what I really admire about you is you've been through a lot. And I know, I feel like you're one of those guys, I know your heart and I know you struggle, but I know that you're always trying to take the step on the right direction. And I, I feel like, um, you know, the title of this podcast is Nightmare Success and Nightmare Success is about stepping into whatever scares you, whatever right. fears you have, and you keep stepping into it because you're trying to get to the right side. And I feel like that's that's where you are right now, and I feel good about that. I feel like you are stepping into something that is filling you up, and uh, you know that's that means a lot of things to different people. But I think you know, just yeah. talking to you here, talking to you the other day, I feel like you're you're on that path to where you're feeling like you're making a difference, and you're filling yourself up, and you feel good about it. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to and. Like the past, since I've been home and since I w- was down where I was at and and uh, I, I kind of like went on this pilgrimage and, and had to find myself again and truly find God's will and not my own. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to be, listen, bro, I love being Catholic and I love Latin mass. I love every bit of being Catholic. I would never change it for the world. I don't. I don't believe in some of the things that happen in the church, yeah. but that's the church. That's not my relationship with God. Right. It's not my relationship with Mother Mary. But I honestly believe that I meet people and people come in our lives for a reason. Right. You know what I mean? When Coach, when Uncle Lou, you know, was in the courtyard with me, that wasn't Lou coincidental. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was not coincidental for him to run into me. Yeah. You know, that was not coincidental for me to help the girls that I did. Yeah. And, and, and literally within what we're four years from when I first, you know, was going down this road that I've seen him grow into great women and help other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got a couple of, you got to remember with my women fighters, I haven't lost a fight yet. Yeah. So and I'm not about to, you know what I mean? My goal is to get one of these girls to the Olympic trials and possibly the next Olympics. You know what I mean? And, you know, and I think I don't want to just gloss over that. I think that one of the things that keeps us focused and keeps us stepping into what we want to step into is having goals. And what you just said there 
Romo is, is you've got these goals, you're working with these girls and, and man, what a, what a feeling that would be to, to take somebody to the Olympics. I mean, what, what a, what an accomplishment that would be. And, you know, that takes a lot of hard work and grit to get somebody that has talent and potential, but they've got to grit it out too. And yes. um, that's the great thing about being a coach. I mean, I, I, I think you've got that in your DNA to be a great coach. And I, I'm glad to see you're into something that you can use your experience. Um, because I think when people meet you and around you and they know what you've been through, and they see you trying to help somebody get to their next step. It says something. Yeah. And there are always going to be people that judge. And oh, God. There's always going to be people oh. that frown. And the more, <laughs> the more successful you are, and, and even though, the, you know, your things are going good and the more successful you are and what you're doing, they always find that, well, he did this or he did sure. that or he did, she did this or she did that. You know, I tell my fighters, this is, you know, for me, I said, um, for whatever reasons, I can't fight or compete mm-hmm. like how I used to. Yeah. But I fight through you. Yeah. Every time you throw a punch, I throw a punch. I love that. Every time you bleed, I bleed. Yeah. Every time you lose, I lose. And guess what? I don't fucking lose. <laughs> so you're not going to lose. We're not going <laughs> to lose. I love that. So, Romo, what what have I not asked you? What should I – What what else – what else should do you have something you want to part with uh, words well, of wisdom to the, to the world out there? Well, one word. Yes. So for me is this <sighs> miracles happen every day. Yeah. Learn to listen. Yep. Good advice. Opportunities not very softly sometimes. Right. And never deprive somebody of hope. Love it. Because it's all they might have. Man, I love that, Romo. I'm going to leave it there. That's some good stuff, man. I got to tell you, it means so much to me that you got with me on this podcast. Uh, it's a little surreal that we're able to do this and we're not in the bunk and we're ha- able right. to have this conversation. But, man, uh, you mean a lot to me, and I love where you're at right now. And thanks for being. I love you, bro. I love you too, man. I love you all my heart, bro. Hey, everybody, Nightmare Success. Thanks for being here.